Hello. The next chapter I'll be reading is called Curse of My Black Skin. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. End quote. James 1, 2 through 4. This was the sermon today, this Sunday at FCBC. And I found it a consolation to hear these encouraging words from my friend, my lover, my Lord. I was being tested and the urgent caution was to know that unless there is an immediate violent threat, it is only a test. As soon as I left church, I took the train down to 14th Street and stopped in the market to purchase lunch. I decided to eat my soup and bread at a nearby park, sitting next to a white man who was having a conversation on the phone. I had in my earplugs, so I was not too disturbed by him. But as soon as I pulled my soup out and started sipping, the man's temper changed. Then the conversation switched to an event that occurred in Rwanda. He spoke loudly into the phone so that I could hear him. Yes, yes, we went there and slaughtered the blacks. He said angrily into the phone while looking at me. He put forceful emphasis on his words and repeated it over and over, but I did not pay him any mind. Suddenly, he rose from the bench and stood in front of me, looking down at me, saying something to me, but I did not hear. So I took my earplugs out and asked him if I could help him. Excuse me, I responded, trying to figure out what he wanted to say. You're a fucking faggot. I don't get fucked, he retorted. Then he got louder, obliging his posture and peering his evil, devilish eyes down at me. You are a war criminal, he screamed. Did you call me a faggot? I asked. I was shocked that God did not waste any time sending an evil viper to attack me. I was sure this man was under some possession and he was being used to annoy me. So I got up and stepped back and started rolling his and then he stepped back and started rolling his sleeves up. Yeah, you want to fight? I already been in a fight today. So bring it on, he said. Stay right here. I'll be back, I told him, pretending to walk off and finding something to beat him with. But surprisingly, I was not bothered by his antagonism. But I also did not want to be punked either. So I had to make it appear that I was as crazy as he was. When I returned, he had scurried off, probably out of fear. I sat down to finish my soup when I was interrupted again by an aging guy who approached and said, Oh, had he known that that guy was talking to me that way, that he would have said something. Oh, I thanked him for his Captain Saberhole Valor response. And then I explained to him that I was fine. And the man's problems was more worse than teaching him a lesson because the New World Order was already begun. And it was only a matter of time before all of them were dead. <laughs> I sounded as crazy as that lunatic. And maybe I was. So crazy recognized crazy, but he met his match. I finished my soup and carried on with the day, not letting what had transpired consume, consume my thoughts and distract me from my routine. I did not get much sleep that night, and it had been five days since I had touched weed and alcohol, which was probably the cause of me feeling restless, but strangely, I was not craving to, to use. I was in a cycle of breaking the bad habit, and it felt painful. I was in an internal search for the truth. So I expected to come up against opposition to circumvent me getting the desire of my heart. The Lord provides this internal security as society unfolds to a predetermined plan and not by accident. 
It was not by virtual virtual virtuous circumstances that I would start to feel more fire coming from my haters. But God uses fire to purify us. This purified love is the highest of human emotion manifested as compassion for people. I did not love this man in that moment, but I did not hate him either because I knew that he did not know that I had reconciled my concerns with God. And I also knew that trouble did not last always and this too shall pass. I knew nature would not direct me to be good and kind to myself while at the same time ordering cruelty to others. No man should seek to inconvenience others to eagerly as, so eagerly as to be prejudiced, as it is unjust for a man to get pleasure by stealing another man's pleasure. I live by this rule of thumb in hopes that my soul may be convinced of the endless joy that is possible when I oblige myself toward the nobility of all men by denouncing bewitched spirits and repudiating the odious conceit in their hearts, for it is a just cause of war for a person to hinder another man's good nature, and confidence is his fervent constitution. I am subdued. By the premise that God is the Father, the kingdom, the power, and the glory over all inferences of man's mischievous frauds, in so far society permits his imputed appetite. Fortunately, I was in a better place to withstand both irrational fears of being confined to sobriety and managing reactions by a hostile and panicked climate, driving me to escape from the sloth of mundane mediocrity. I was riding the way of non-resistance while embracing the suck, yet not accepting the vulgarity as an inescapable reality. I had to almost create a schism between worlds, a place of refuge to rest my weary mind, setting it on things eternal and virtuous. Nature vigorously led me to this, to seek after pleasure, order, wisdom, good action, reflection, giving unremitted attention toward the restitution of all faculties. This is the safety to the trigger, preventing the accidental discharge of hate, disgust, revolting contempt for all of humankind. I was humbled in my brokenness, satin but hopeful. I felt in good spirit but cognizant of my surroundings, as I was not sure if God was done testing. While waiting for the four train on 149th Street in Grand Concourse, I spotted a female watching me, and I instantly knew she had a devil on her, so I looked away, pretending not to be thinking about her but I could feel her eyes on me. I walked down the platform so that we would get into different cars, but as the train was approaching, she creeped toward me and that's we could so that we could walk through the same door. But I walked in the opposite direction to prevent that from happening and for no re- for some reason or for no reason our shoulders bumped into each other quite aggressively. I ignored it and walked into the car. And as I sat down, I spotted the same girl hopping the car to come inside the car I was in. Her eyes was on me as she said something, but I didn't hear because I was listening to my music with my earplugs. And frankly, I didn't care. I know she had it out for me, but I was calm and focused. And I did not look at her, pretending she was not standing there showing male aggression, going off at the mouth, trying to start a fight. And when she saw that I could not, she couldn't get a reaction out of me, she stepped off the Grand Concourse and then I continued listening to my music, not missing a beat. I was proud of myself for not reacting, but I should have avoided her and not allowed her shoulders to bump, as this was asking for trouble. 
I must see trouble and stay far away from it because the devil looks for an opportunity to instigate a fight. And of course, she would have said I started it when I knew all alone she had trouble on her mind. The devil is very insidious and manipulative, so I have to always cut it off by either ignoring it or if I can't get away from it, ignore it anyway and pretend that it don't exist because they have no other choice but to move on and find another vessel to inhabit. My meditation techniques were paying off, and I did not have no, go, have, did not have to go into fight or flight this time. Choosing to block her out, her out, her out completely, as if she were not standing there yapping her gums. To be honest, I had no fight in me, and this feeling poured over into not wanting to preserve my life. I was doing what I had to do to stay healthy, eating right, taking supplements, exercising, not drinking, not smoking weed, and meditating. Anything to slow down to the process of HIV wrecking my ha- the havoc on my entire body. But I had refused to take my medications. One part of me did not want to give up. I still wanted to accomplish everything I set out to do. When God was ready to let this disease run its course, then I have no doubt I would surely start deteriorating and die. I was okay with this prospect because no one should have to suffer as much as I have. I accepted all, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Nothing was going to steal my joy, peace, and love for myself, not even death. Those somatic responses did not stay away for long as the attack came back with a vision while sitting in Harlem Coffee on 118th Street. The vibe was pleasant for the first 30 minutes. Then I started to drip sweat from under my armpits. I knew that nervous... I knew that the nervous system reacts. Reactions meant my body was perceiving negative energy nearby. So I started to pay attention to my environment. Then all hell broke, caught wind. And one by one, the people sitting at the table started getting nervous ticks. And then the white male sitting at the table with me started acting aggressive, looking over at me. But I did not look back. One lady kept getting out of her seat and throwing trash away, looking at me suspiciously. At first, I figured it was time to go. Then I ignored it and kept trying to endure it for as long as I could, refusing to let the enemy turn me into a dry person. Then it would only get worse. I was certain not to give the enemy any space to come in, leaving me with no other option. If not for detestable circumstances, living in this vessel as a black man, I might have had more favorable life and known a refuge so blessed by God. So wake up uh, to wake up feeling lucky to my human to be human but I have no worry about my blackness but I have to worry about to worry about my blackness (sighs) bear with me guys (laughs) but I have to worry about my blackness over my humanity this is not my life perhaps in a former life but this life cannot be my reality in my current body I have a restless heart but this black skin is holding me hostage to a life not fit for the royalty that I feel that I am Royalty being that I am created by God, therefore I am an emanation of royalty. My crown be thrown by the swine of this earth for no other purpose than to exact hate out of the motive of of the cruelest vengeance, all for being royally black. The enemy has stopped my life from being fun and has made me miserable with all that God has given me. He worries me with the comforts God has blessed me with. To where I do not even enjoy sleeping in the comfortable queen-size bed for being so breathless. After a few hours of tossing and turning, I am back up 
jumping out of bed to run out of the house no matter the time, thinking my pleasure is somewhere outdoors. The more I go out, the more I'm faced with bleeding, impoverished people with their tormenting behavior, which can only be a pathological product of slavery. I am certain those horrifying systems are too intricate to be decoded. So my only chance to live out the rest of my days in solitude is to leave America and find my utopia elsewhere among foreigners that speak a different language and whose histories are too distant from mine to ever clash culturally. I find it astonishing the mad scientist fears the created monster when it is a projection of his inner monstrosity. You know it is. You know it impresses on me. You know it impressed on me that the remedy to solving all the interferences coming from outside of me was to remain in a calm state in order to control the nerve energy radiating from me. I spent every fiber of my power trying to resist against the barrage of attacks of my character. And though I meditate once a day and still isn't calm enough to calm my excited nerves, which I suspect is attracting this peculiar negative attention, I needed to smoke some weeds for the first time in nearly a month. I needed to escape and calm down enough so I could keep going. I will explain what led to me smoking now. I had to go to Wall Street at 3 p.m. for an interview for an intern uh, position at a clinical resource agency a week before the new semester was to begin. I needed a field placement as it was my graduate school requirement. After my interview, Department of Social Services at Plessy University contacted me, congratulating me that the Clinical Resource Agency emailed them to say that they liked me and wanted me to intern with them. I was in good spirit leaving the interview and headed back to the Bronx. As I stood on the platform, waited on the four train, minding my business, the train approached and I stepped on. Then a Latino man caught a ridiculous attitude demanding that I move so he could sit down. It happened so fast, I did not have time to react properly because people were still exiting the train. I told him to calm down, that I would move when I had room. But he shoved me to sit anyway. Then I reluctantly sat next to him, thinking this was going to be a long ride. Fortunately, an old lady walked on and I stood up to offer her my seat. But something was bothering me about that Latin guy trying to punk me. and And I had had it with rude people. He sat there seeming to have a personal gripe and appeared pissy. So I firmly told him to act like a grown man and mind your own fucking business. (laughs) I must have said it loudly because everyone on the train stopped and looked. What happened next even surprised me. My mind unconsciously went into my blouse pocket where I had tucked a writing pen. But now it would serve as a shank to puncture a hole in his throat. I pulled it out and clicked the needle so when I jugged, I had a better chance to puncture his skin and hit the artery. I held it firmly in my hand while holding the metal bar from the other hand, hoping he said something to me. Today was the day I was going to jail, and I was more than prepared to kill his ass. I think he picked up on my deranged disposition as he looked down to and kept his mouth shut till he got off at 125th Street. It happened so fast it even scared me that I was willing to hurt this man for wanting to interrupt my day. Something so petty nearly cost him his life, but I was asking myself the entire ride, was I crazy as I thought I was? All I could focus on was that vein bulging out of the side of his neck, and I went over in my head the proper way to inflict as much damage so he would lose as much blood as possible before the paramedics arrived. 
I was not easily prone to fighting, but if I had to, the object would be just to kill to death, either them or me. <laughs> My head felt fuzzy and not oriented, but I was happy he jumped off 125th Street and I did not make it any more problems, so I moved on with my thoughts. I decided I needed to take a break to ease my mental tension, so I hopped off the train and took the downtown train back to Brooklyn to see that Spike Lee movie, Black Klansman. As I got on the train and took my seat, suddenly an Indian woman walked onto the train with her two daughters and, and, and son and her husband. She took one look at me and gave me an annoyed look, then hesitantly sat next to me, grabbing her small boy and sitting him on her lap. The husband and two other and her two daughters stood in front of me, holding the rail, but I was not having it. I asked her if she was okay. She looked at me with this arrested look on her face and retorted, I'm not talking to you, she said with a shrill tone. So I knew she was covering up some demon possession. I responded, are you are you okay sitting next to me? Because I don't prefer crazy people next to me. That was when that was my mistake. <laughs> I should have minded my business. So, of course, I was prepared for what came next. No one said nothing at first. But then the two daughters and the husband had mean mugs on their faces. So I decided to ask one of the girls where they were from. But she responded, it's none of your business. And then the dad intervened. If you want to talk, talk to me. He said sternly, so I directed my focus to him and engaged him since he felt so strongly about it. His hand had, was nearly in my face and he did not look happy at all. This was exactly the reason why I didn't want them near me because all of them were behaving aggressively now. He did not want to talk, but as I engaged him, he became ruder and I knew that he was not going to listen. This was the masculine, macho way to handle issues for him. Then I said, why can't two black and brown people have a conversation? I know what, and then I said, I know what this is, but it'll only blow up in your face in the end. Then one of the daughters interjected, it's not about color. It's the way you talk to my mother. I stood there and I gave her eye contact and listened. I knew responding would only fall on angry death ears. So I sincerely apologized, then turned to the woman and apologized to her. Who knows who, who now had a battered woman look on her face. <laughs> no one said anything after that. I was still calm and focused on a spot on an adjacent door and took deep breaths, focusing my attention on something else because I did not have any more. I did not care anymore. But it was a lesson learned to just mind my own business and not let the microaggressions of others get to me because it would only start a hailstorm if I engaged the irrationality. These black haters have mastered the art of pulling the victim card when they are confronted about their microaggressions toward black people. I did take responsibility for perceiving her, her look to be personally directed at me, but it did not matter now. People are all complicated and the less I deal with them, the better. This, le this lesson has also taught me I was good to keep my minding my business and not assume people are aware of their crap. But to ignore everyone and do not react to none of it because they are all skillful at flipping the script because they are more experienced at being stupid. So it is no use talking further with them. People like this are set in their minds how they want to view me. And when it is all said and done, the Indian family unfortunately did not accept my apology, which confirmed the edge I suspected from the beginning. I know some Indians can be quite racist toward American blacks, but I know they are also they also have they are raised in a caste system, so it's ingrained in their culture and emboldened by subliminal American black hate codes. Something told me that I would have gotten the same demeanor had I said nothing at all. 
Or why else would she have shrugged her shoulder before sitting next to me as if it bothered her that she had no choice whether to sit next to me when she could have just simply stood and avoided my sensibilities to her crap. The nuances are too complex, but I was happy I was bigger person and then I apologized. Ever since the civil rights movement, black people have always taken the high road. Even when our perceptions detecting covert racism playing out in microaggressive ways. But dare we say anything or address it and the vipers will try to deny it quickly and make it about the other person to deflect from their intentions, of course. Personally, by me apologizing showed a big step in my willingness to accept when I was wrong. I could care less what they thought about me. The important thing was that I was able to right my wrongs before they got off the train. Later, a Latino man walked on and asked me for change. I thought about how I was not too long ago desperate for money. Fortunately, I had $5 in coins to offer him, and I could tell it had made a difference in his situation. We wound up having a conversation, and he told me how hard life was for him. You just want to give up, he said exasperatedly. This hit home for me because even though I haven't given up on my dreams, the fact that I was not taking my HIV medications hit me that I was still giving up. Though I was going through the motions, I was not truly living my best life. Even after that crazy fire on the train, I did not connect taking my HIV medications to not giving up. But as the man said that, I immediately knew that I could not give up because not only was I able to help that man with $5, but I had so much more to give this world. And the only way that I would be able to do that is if my health is up and I am not sick from complications for not taking my life-sustaining drugs. So many people are angry, desperate, crying out for the good Lord to help save them. But even I know they will keep waiting because God has allowed the devil to wreak havoc on earth and that will never change. We must find the Savior within and let that be our resting place, our place of refuge. Paris is burning literally and there is no turning back the sins of this world. We are in a fight with the devil to destroy our reason for life, but he will not destroy my reason, which is why I outlast these mental pranks that seem systematically assaulted against my purpose and reason every day. When my final days arrived, it would be sweet sorrow, but I would not have known, have known, but I would have known that I have tried with all of my battered might to win in this life somehow. I always known since a child that I would have to find a purpose to fulfill shoes much bigger than my own. And the only tragic mistake I feel that I made was that I went through life undeterred by the notion that God expected me to win at all costs. Now I am not sure if this is the meaning of life anymore. Maybe life is not about necessarily winning, but doing our best and being prepared to pass the torch to the next person that will house this spirit. The spirit that I carry that has been inhabited my who, who has inhabited my vessels before me, there are memories living in my DNA inclining me through the experience. After the Spike Lee movie, I went home and started taking my HIV medications. If I could keep my body alive long enough to fulfill my purpose, then life will have new meaning. I wanted to know what the spirit realm was all about because it has handicapped my prospects for love, torn me away from the friends that I had since high school, 
This spirit has agitated my sense of balance to where I no longer know what will make me truly happy. It was all a game and I wanted out of it. I was going through the motions and not truly living my best life. It was no longer about graduate school. It was not about the weed because the weed allowed me to escape the gloom of this life. I was not depressed. I only felt a sense of nothingness. I was not going to shed one tear before God. God probably thought I was crazy too. The only way to defend from the element is to keep people at distance and pursue life. But do not expect to find God in life outside of nature. God seems to be perfectly okay if his people remain broken, lost, oppressed, confused, and poor. Business goes on as usual as the rich keep getting richer and the poor. Well, you know what the happens to the poor. <laughs> we all gather on Sunday morning at church thanking God that he has sustained us during our trials as if he, God, is not the sole proprietor to our misery. God must be accountable for his people. This I must demand because I cannot be accountable to something I cannot perceive in the natural sense. God must make himself known to me so I know that I know that I know that he is real and that he wants the best for me because I want the best for me. So how can two rights make a wrong unless there is no God and all we got is misery with the devil? Even still, I am willing to consider because I am so angry with the way life has turned out and it has taken a toll on me emotionally and mentally. Fortunately, God has offered me an exit plan by allowing me to contract HIV. I have a glorious way out of this matrix, but I still must take my medication so I can at least attempt to make creation realized. The vanity of wishing to prolong my life so I can finish a book, having no certainty of its publication, only to say that I did it. I created something from the essence of me. <laughs> I dislike the world and I that I lived in that much that I am willing to go into the unknown to get away from the predicament of living my life working nine to five to stay alive, a nine to five to stay alive, a nine to five to stay a freaking alive. Keeping my cool was short-lived as I allowed the uncomfortable comfortable bad habit to reemerge while I was on the streets on in Harlem. I started behaving aggressively at a corner social on 126th Street and Lenox Avenue, what turned out into a relaxing lunch break while having lunch, and it ended having a conversation with a friend on the phone complaining about the state of black people and how rigged the system was. The conversation continued out the restaurant as I crossed the street. Some white girl hit me with her luggage, refusing to move out of my way. I then blurted out, get the fuck out of my way. Then while on the train, I couldn't stand the sight of a white and Asian people sitting in the car next to me. I got up and moved seats for no apparent reason to show them that I was not comfortable with them. I seemed to have been married to negative reactions and divorce. And the divorce was not finalized. I had a mean look on my face and I was very hypersensitive to people brushing me. I do not know why I was so irrit irritated, but I felt horrible by the end of the day. I felt guilty and I scorned myself for acting like my old self. I swore to watch my behavior from then on out. I became interested in our human design because of this. Reaching out to science when attempting to explain how a person can mentally change an old negative pattern, yet unconsciously revert to it later. The propensity seems to be dependent on how self-controlled I feel when the regression occurs. It felt natural to revert to being angry and irritated, forgetting that I had changed those qualities about myself. I forgot that I could now 
choose vibrational thoughts that match the high frequency I was on and not revert to old patterns of behaving. I forgot that I was ready to live my best life, mind, body, and spirit. I truly felt that all of my daily arduous striving, searching for knowledge and understanding would connect me in some shape or form to this divine presence. And it was not that I was a lunatic for following this extrasensory perception, sending me direct messages from the supernal creator, which defied all of logic and science. Reflecting on why I allowed myself to cling to that old hate when the hate had left, revealed why I was now experiencing pain. And it must have something to do with having a bipolar relapse. But on the upside, this relapse stepped me back to the here and now forcing me to face my crap and I was ready to put the rest this I was ready to put to rest this notion that it's not okay for God to make life inconvenient for me I looked at my reflect I looked at my reflection in the mirror for the long time and I screamed at my reflection watching the distress and anxious expression appear across my face as I screamed uncontrollably why when would end? Why? What happened? What have I done to deserve this? I wanted to hit something. The wall, the glass mirror, anything to make it feel as badly as I felt about that female bumping me and those Indians catching an attitude. Why did I have to take those interactions so seriously? Probably because I could not control it, yet it controlled my patience. I decided to go to Jackie Robinson Park, but it turned into a screaming match with God. With me yelling my grievances out, not caring who heard me. God wants me to suffer in the hands of the enemy. He wants to watch me break and snap or crack. And only bad thing that could come of this. I do not know why I suddenly waged this spiritual war against my trust in God. But it was better than cursing the devil and getting laughed at as a result. God was a good fallback because he, at least he shows compassion. And in fact... God controls the devil, so whatever I was feeling was being allowed by God. But for what purpose? Only God knows. I felt an irredeemable sense of betrayal to have put my life in the hands of God's hands, yet I still receive hostility on the street. It took all sense of personal agency away and made me feel as if I had no control or a grasp on this hate when it runs amok. No one is accountable for their assaulting actions. I am left with the animosity, the resentment, and emotional agony, which does not serve as protection in the end. I have a target on my head, and the evil can transmute into vessels at its disposal, and there is nothing I can do but just close my eyes and hope that the clouds clear when I open them. He whispers in the ears of his faithful servants of hate, and they obey because they are usually miserable people who enjoy terrorizing other people. The devil is telling them, God has forsaken me and it is safe to come and harass me because he knows that I cannot do nothing in response. The devil tells them, and while you're at it, go ahead and call him a faggot and he might bless you. These vipers are doing it knowing their capacity to hate or they go under temporary hypnosis and the devil erases their memory as soon as they carry out this will, his will. But I am left with the scars and the memory seems to stick with me like glue. And God is not erasing my memory. I must keep reliving it every time I bleed my heart out on these pages. Maybe I should pray to have the memory of the pain removed. But that would, remain, that would mean forgetting the past. And I know that the past is connected to my future. So forgetting will 
only allow the manifestation in another form if humans cannot escape their karma. We are married to it to the day we die, never allowed to be free from it completely. Karma always has an insidious way of picking its nose into our lives at will while we helplessly squirm through life wishing our lives were better situated. Only I have the will to close myself to in my apartment and cry and gripe about all of this life, how life really does suck. And it would be much better if I just didn't wake up. But I did wake up this morning and I'm literally worried when I walk out of the door that some dry and miserable idiot will spot me and feel emboldened to walk over to me and lash out at me. There is no avoiding it. I must hope that God is in a good mood because how can God be walking with me yet allow strangers to distort my vision to where I simply give up on God himself from sheer hopelessness? I cannot accept the life consumed in arbitrary coincidences because it happens too often to be a coincidence. God is making me miserable for not surrendering my will to him. I cannot shake this feeling I constantly being vulnerable by people's taunts and bullying. I must have anhedonia or some brain disorder blocking pleasure from coming in or leaving out unless I am putting something in my body to enable the pleasure chemical to be released. When I'm not smoking or drinking, my thoughts are racing and sporadic and not fully evolved as I come too easily distracted. My thoughts become fixated on any possible negative outcome that could arise and I get super vigilant and cautious and I start looking at and to look at people for fear that I may get the facial recognition of approval. I may not get the facial recognition of approval hoped for. The same old tape recorder keeps playing, singing my Sunday through Monday blues, complaining over the same obstacles delivered that God delivered me from. But there is a new referee in the ring, and this short period of relief was only the halftime show. But I digress. It is my right to taste the sweetness of this life, and if America doesn't want to give it to me, I am going elsewhere to find it. That's the end of that chapter. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Have a great evening. Talk to you tomorrow.